today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Well, there's more going on in the world than just the Raptors winning the NBA title. Uh, honestly, there is. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's a bit of a surprise announcement uh, where one of the most polarizing figures in the Trump administration, and, and that's saying something, obviously, given some of the uh, the folks that we've been dealing with there, uh, announced that she's stepping down. That being, of course, Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders says she's leaving the White House at the end of the month. Joining us to talk about this is Orion Hurl, assistant professor in the Department of Political Science at the University of Toronto, specializing in American politics. Ryan, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Oh, no problem at all. Happy to be here. Were you surprised by the announcement? Uh, in general, I'm not surprised that anyone who's been serving in a presidential administration decides after three and a half years to move on in life. I think particularly in the case of uh, press secretary, it is a pretty demanding job, a pretty stressful job. And for someone like Sanders who has a family, I think that at some point just the uh, the level of stress, the level of difficulty, the, the strain it's going to put on you uh, personally uh, you know, can kind of draw you away from the uh, the limelight of politics. So uh, no, I'm, in in general, I'm not I'm not surprised. It is a this extraordinarily difficult job, and she probably wants to think about some other options uh, looking forward in her both her personal and her professional life. I was watching some of the feedback on social media when the announcement was made yesterday, and and there were some who were speculating uh, that she may have fallen out of favor. I mean, because some of the other people that have left the White House over the last couple of years, uh, you know, it, it's usually because the, he's they've said something, or the president just gets whether it's Rex Tillerson or somebody else just said like, enough is enough. I, I don't get that impression though ryan i think they, they were very tight weren't they or still are yeah i think that uh trump uh definitely appreciated her abilities uh as a press secretary uh, as i said it is it is not an easy job and i i don't think that this is this is the same situation uh with so many other people in the trump administration where there has been uh there has been there's been tension um, if I had to guess i would i would think that uh sanders is probably looking forward to a political career, perhaps beginning in Arkansas. There is going to be a gubernatorial election in 2022 um, in Arkansas. The sitting Republican governor uh, can't uh, is uh, term limited, so they can't, she can't go up for re-election. So I think that's possible that Sanders is thinking about her own political future, and I think it's possible she's going to have a very bright one. One of the things, if you've read some of the background material, well, Bob Woodward's book, Fear, of course, I, I think they mentioned this a number of times. Uh, one, I guess, the trait that Trump always looks for in his staff, and his attorneys general, I guess, for that matter, is loyalty. Uh, above all else, uh, even if the truth has to be a victim of that, it has to be loyalty. And she actually personified that, didn't she? Uh, I think in, in some ways. Um, I, certainly in terms of this question of the, the truthfulness of Sanders, that people point to some some errors that she made, uh, particularly a comment she made about the fact that, or her claim rather, that there was a lot of opposition to James Comey within the FBI. So I think that is was an example of where her instinct to try to uh, shore up the president's defenses uh, kind of overcame her her better sensibilities. Uh, I think that you know in some positions within the federal government, within the, the American federal government, you want individuals who are going to be. Uh, willing to put the interests of you know law and policy ahead of loyalty to the president. In the case of press secretary, though, it is sort of reasonable to understand that if you understand that that the person speaking for the president is going to well be loyal to the president and be primarily concerned with that. Obviously, it shouldn't extend as far as distorting the truth, but I think that's uh, I think she she definitely did demonstrate that loyalty, and I think that 
that loyalty will probably also serve her, um, given the uh, you know this, the the constituency she's going to want to uh, draw support from as she goes forward in her political career, assuming she's pursuing a political career, which I do. Yeah, there were, I know the the Comey situation was one example, but I mean, if you to listen to some of the feedback uh, and and some of the observations from m- many people of the media, I guess with the possible exclusion of Fox News. Uh, they, f- I, I think, were very frustrated by Sarah Huckabee Sanders sure. and uh, and the spin that she would put on things. I, I, I don't know. I guess we have to get into a definition of what the press secretary is actually supposed to do. Is it disseminate information or is it to have the president's back? Probably a combination of the two. Right. I mean, I do think that a lot of people in the press, understandably, uh, are dissatisfied with Sanders, uh, not least because the, the number of press briefings has been reduced so radically over, particularly over the course of the last year, I think particularly since January. And there is this sense in which the, the sort of semi-official role of the, the White House press corps has been not exactly nullified, but certainly reduced within the Trump administration. And that's understandable. On the other hand, there's no constitutional requirement that the White House press corps uh, play a, semi, a semi-official role within, a, within American politics. I mean, in some ways, it does seem as if it's the almost the American equivalent of question period. Um, but then it's perhaps not the most effective way to be communicating ideas, uh, maybe not the most effective way to be communicating policy. Uh, so it is understandable to me uh, that uh, why the press corps is critical of Sanders Huckabee. Uh, at the same time, if you look at it from the other perspective, I don't think there's any other presidents probably in our lifetime that has, has such a hostile uh, response or uh, has such a hostile press corps to deal with and perhaps extending that to journalism as a whole. So I think that there's there's no love lost on either side. Was she too aggressive in, in her style and her demeanor? Uh, I, I don't know how to answer that question. I think that's so, like so much during the Trump era, this is something that is colored by people's, uh, you know, partisans' dispositions. Uh, I don't. I, I think this is an era in which it's it's no longer dangerous or bad for a woman to be aggressive uh, to be aggressive in public, and I think that that is a style that, even if it's uh, disconcerting uh, to some, I think it is uh, something that is is going, definitely going to help her going into the future. But she did uh, share the same disdain for the the media that that obviously Donald Trump has, and she, and she she seemed to do that. Uh, and and I, I get the impression sometimes, Ryan, especially when she was relatively new to the job a few years ago, uh, that she looked at the way Sean Spicer, who was the previous press secretary, handled things, and and almost got rolled over by the media. And and, and she seemed to come into this job with the resolve to say they're not going to push me around. Right, and I think this gets back to your earlier question about the level of, of loyalty that she received or that she demonstrated for President Trump. And I think that that, um, and, in, and so perhaps the reason she was able to have such a relatively successful tenure as a press secretary, why she's able to leave on good terms, uh, was precisely because uh, she, was, uh, she was oppositional, she was adversarial. And uh, that's, not, you know, that, that's not necessarily a terrible thing. Um, as I said, in some ways, the, the White House press corps and the, these press briefings are almost like the American equivalent of question period. And we expect question period in Canada to be adversarial. That's the whole point. So I, I don't think that it's, it's not, nece- it's not sim- I mean, it is called a briefing. It's, I suppose, in our minds, you, there might be some advantage to having it be just sort of a general neutral dissemination of information. 
But uh, the fact of the matter is, a lot of information isn't neutral. There are always going to be differing interpretations. It, it's going to be something like a battle uh, in many cases, and certainly she was she was very good at it, I think. Well, and, and again, we come back to the role of, of what she had to do there, and, and even the purpose of having those quote-unquote briefings. Uh, because basically, no matter what administration we're talking about, whether it's Trump, whether it's uh, Obama, whether it's Bush, we can go down the list here. The job is not so much to disseminate information, it's basically to defend policy, because you're going to get the Q&A from the media that are going to start questioning all this stuff. Uh, and as you say, in question period, for instance, on this side of the border, mm-hmm. you assume the prime minister is going to be there to answer. Nine times out of ten, the president doesn't do that sort of thing, but the press secretary is front and center, and they're the ones who are defending the policy of the government. Right. The, it does, in some ways, it does seem strange from a Canadian perspective that there is this one figurehead uh, who is not elected, who perhaps does not have extensive political experience and certainly doesn't have extensive policy experience, uh, that this one individual uh, is, the, is, is uh, this figurehead for an entire administration. Uh, there's an element of theater to it, and in some ways that's a reason to not take it all that seriously. But on the other hand, uh, as a figurehead, uh, you know, Sanders is someone who is in the public's eye. And perhaps, uh, actually, for many people, the information they're getting about politics might be associated with her, with her statements and her briefings. So it is important in that sense. But yes, yes from my perspective, it is an element of American political theater that is, that, that is somewhat strange. And frankly, it's not even clear what, uh, if it plays all that much of an important role. Uh, just to be just to be perfectly frank, um, it is an opportunity for people, for reporters or the press secretary, to engage in a kind of spectacle. And I don't know is is this is this really what uh, journalism should be focusing on? Uh, are there better you know is are there better ways to communicate this kind of information? Probably, but we live in a society of spectacle, so you know I, I don't want to uh, totally dismiss it. Um, but it is not uh, it is not the most serious aspect of American politics. That's for certain. But we also live in the in the era of twenty four hour news cycles too. I, this is not just right. like you know uh, your Washington correspondent would have to go and file a story, and it would be on the six o'clock news with Walter Cronkite or whatever that was back in those generations. They need they need stuff to fill that twenty four hours, and so uh, I guess they do tend to get down to the minutia, and that's where the frustration on the media would come in because they're not getting the information that they're actually asking for to fill that sort of stuff. So they they they, they do get. Confrontational, and I guess it's reciprocated, obviously, by whoever the press secretary is. Right. I mean, this is kind of opening up the uh, you know the the issue a bit more, but it reminds me of something that um, a White House speechwriter Ben Rhodes said back in the Obama administration, talking about a lot of journalists in D.C. He said that many of them are twenty seven eight uh, twenty seven or twenty eight years old. They haven't done a lot of work. They don't. Uh, they haven't seen a lot of the country. They don't have a lot of sort of historical or comparative knowledge. They literally know nothing. Um, and I think that in, under these circumstances, what you're dealing with is a, a form of journalism that is, in some ways, it's easy to produce. You know, it gets back to this question of feeding the 24-hour news cycle. It doesn't take too much um, effort. It doesn't take too much. Uh, you know, a focus uh, in in order to produce uh, sort of, you know, news bites uh, when you're dealing with the the White House press briefings. Um, Now, you you can easily imagine that there are different kinds and different forms of journalism that are going to be, um, you know, going to be more informative, uh, going to be more useful both for, you know, for the public, certainly. Uh, Having said that, 
you know, it's easy to think, oh, well, people should re- what people should really be reading and consuming more serious forms of journalism and not these public spectacles. But in many cases, you know, people want people want the spectacle. Uh, they people want the uh, the political theater, not the more you know detailed investigative journalistic reporting that that might be more useful. Well, and we've discovered that over the last couple of years. I've had a number of discussions with uh, media uh, consultants and uh, and experts on this, too. And uh, uh, unfortunately, you're right. I mean, instead of looking for in-depth news, a lot of us are, are educating ourselves through the Chiron on the front of the television screen. Uh, we just want that little one-line bit there, and that's our, that's our information. We don't necessarily dig for the details, uh, and that's what they're looking for, to fill that Chiron all the time. No, I think I think you're absolutely correct on that. So, and, and and to the confrontational point, and, and uh, I guess depending on how controversial the administration is, uh, obviously, we, as we mentioned earlier, that press secretary has to be the defender of that. I mean, you know, during the Bush administration, when uh, the controversy was going on, of course, about the weapons of mass destruction and, and the invasions, right. etc., I think it was Ari Fleischer was the press secretary then, and it got pretty testy between he and the media oftentimes. Right. And, you know, it, it is, you know, in, in, in obviously you do want the press to be confrontational to, you know, to a degree. Uh, I think people will probably be arguing for a long time whether the press in the United States has, um, has had difficulty maintaining any kind of objectivity when covering uh, the Trump administration, which is sort of one perspective. On the other perspective, the other perspective could be is that, you know, it is not necessarily to be, it's not necessary to be totally neutral um, if you think that their administration is being deliberately deceptive or an administration is being uh, deliberately incompetent. So yeah, it is, it is, we would expect and we would hope and want journalists to be, to be adversarial uh, when they're encountering a president. But I think that, you know, the, the, the other issue here is that, you know, what, how adversarial was the press corps during the Obama administration? Um, can do to what extent is the press corps, the White House press corps, the media more in general? Uh, to what extent do they hold dif- uh, hold different presidents to different kinds of standards? Um, I, obviously, that's a difficult question to answer. Well. The whole idea about the you know being as, as impartial as you possibly could, or at least the perception of that, uh, has seemingly gone out the window. I mean, a lot of media down in the states right now just kind of wear it on their sleeve. They're either left leaning or right leaning. They have entire networks that are dedicated to that, uh, and and as a result, the politicians take sides too and said, "Hey, I like that's those guys because they like what me I'm doing. I don't like them because they're always criticizing me." Right, right, and I've. I've changed my mind as an observer of American politics of this over time. I mean, obviously, we've been able to see the political polarization of media in the States for a very long time, and obviously not only in the States. And my, my initial response to this, or my longtime position, was that, well, the further you go back in time, you go back way to the 19th century, that was a point in time when, you know, uh, news coverage, journalism was explicitly partisan. And so, therefore, when you're consuming a newspaper in the 19th century, you know you're reading either a Republican or a Democratic newspaper. You expected it. So, and so, in a sense, your, your consumption of media was filtered through that knowledge. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe it won't be so terrible now, you know, if we're moving back to a more partisan media environment. But increasingly, it seems to me that it's difficult even to, even to establish a basis of fact from which uh, politics can have, you know, people engaged in politics can have a discussion. Um, it's more than just partisanship. It, you know, what happens when a journalistic partisanship, you know, ends up creating a world in which people can't even agree what facts they're disagreeing about. 
So it's going to be, and this obviously is not a problem that's going to go away, and it's probably going to become even more evident as we head into uh, presidential election season. Well, and what further polarizes that, I guess, is what we find time and time again these days anyway, Ryan, is people tend to gravitate to to whatever media would substantiate their political views already. In other words, if you're right-leaning, more often than not, you're going to watch a right-leaning TV network, you're going to read a right-leaning newspaper, and, and vice versa, of course, if you're on the other side of the political spectrum. Uh, it's not a matter of gathering information. It's really, it's a matter of, I guess, trying to find somebody that validates what you already feel. Right, and that's why I think that the the decline. I mean, even at a time when uh, media was becoming more polarized, there was still often a sense that there were some some news outlets, let's say the New York Times, that you could still be trusted. Uh, could still be trusted in the sense of providing a kind of a sort of a, the starting point, the basis for discussion. And even that's being lost. And I think that's I think that's potentially very dangerous. And I think what's also important to remember here is that I'm not in any way suggesting that. Um, you know, journalists, they are inclined to lie or be deceptive. It's never about that. It's rather, you know, the, the bias comes in in terms of the kinds of stories people want to focus on, the kinds of interpretations people make. Uh, I don't think journalists are engaged in any kind of, you know, deception or, or deliberate lying. Um, but it is the case that if you have to foster a certain kind of attitude, that, it's, that is very difficult. It's very difficult for any journalist nowadays, perhaps always, to go into political coverage and say, I'm going to try to be, I'm going to try to play, play the role of an umpire. I mean, that's the best way to think about it. The, umpire, the journalist as umpire or referee. That, I think, has gone out the window. And for the reasons you've said, it's very difficult to know how to recapture it. Because in some ways, the problem is with us. The problem is with ordinary citizens. People want to have, you know, inflammatory, polarized uh, journalism. Uh, it's more exciting in a lot of ways. Um, it's more exciting than someone who's simply trying to be fair. Uh, Ryan, thanks as always. Really appreciate your time today and your perspective. Oh, thank you for contacting me uh, anytime. Gotcha. Ryan Harrell, who's uh, assistant professor, of course, in the Department of Political Science at uh, the University of Toronto. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.